Well, thank you for being here this morning, and for whatever reason you were here, whether it was to see children or you just saw us on the web or you were looking for us or someone told you about us, we are delighted that you were here today. We believe fully that God has designed that each one of us is here in this place this morning for a specific reason. Uh, I was thinking as those guys were up here singing and performing behind, you know, the, the, the instruments that adolescence may actually begin before the teenage years and extend beyond 30. I was thinking, you know, that uh, it's adolescence just keeps getting stretched out. Uh, what a great uh, reminder, though, from Andrew and Laura Kate about our need to be intentional in pouring into the lives of younger ones. And as we talk about lots, it's no mistake that we've got a lot of oldies here and we've got a bunch of young ones. And frankly, as they were stating, they don't really want to hear from us unless we give them a reason to want to hear from us. So those of you who are older and mature, it is not time to rest, although we're going to be talking about rest today. It is an active rest that we're going to be talking about. Those of you who are older, God has called you to pour into the lives of the younger ones. And frankly, if you're all back next week, we're in big trouble because we're going to have a bunch of students here next, next Sunday. We're going to be putting more, going to tighten up. And you be looking, be ready to give up your seat and we'll just do what we have to do if we have to next week. Um, but God is calling us to minister to them. Now, the best way we can do that is to rest in Jesus. We're in the middle of a study in the book of Galatians, so consequently last week we were in Matthew 11 and today Hebrews 4. That makes sense, right? Uh, it will next week. If it hasn't already, it will next week. I'm going to talk about this later. In fact, I'll just refer back to it. But there's a pattern in the New Testament books, in the New Testament letters that goes like this. This is who you are in Jesus. The Apostle Paul, Peter, Apostles Paul and Peter did this. This is who you are in Jesus. And then after that, as a result, the first half of the book or even more is, this is who you are in Jesus. And as a result, this is how you should live. Well, this is sort of a bridge. Where we're talking about today is a bridge. We're saved by faith. We live by faith. What does that mean? That's what we're talking about these two weeks. Last Sunday, we talked about rest. We allowed the encouraging words of Jesus in Matthew 11 to just flow over us. Come to me, all you who labor, who are burdened down, you're heavy laden, with sin or with trials, with difficulties. Come to me, all of you who labor, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, so it's an active, it's an active rest. Come rest and get ready to work. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. So how did you do this past week? Those of you who were here last week. Did you rest more this past week? I'm not talking about physically. But in your heart 
and mind, did you rest more? You know, when we're, when we're exhausted, we're not nearly as sharp as when we're rested. I always feel sorry for the uh, Olympians who have to miss the opening ceremonies. I mean, that looks like so much fun walking in there, you know, and everybody's just walking and taking pictures of themselves and having a good time. And, 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 and there are some people who are not there. You know who it is, right? The swimmers who have to swim the next morning. And I feel sorry for them, but rest is that important. They have to be ready to perform the next day. Uh, When you're sick, you need rest. Somehow, we need to resist the urge, this desperate urge to get done the things that we think have to be done or the world's going to fall apart. And rest so that our bodies can recover. We will get better much quicker if we'll just stop. And rest, and that the extent of our work is, you know, with the remote or whatever. Almost everyone recognizes the need for a day of day off each week, a, a time of rest, a rejuvenation for the body and the soul. But what about the kind of rest that Jesus was talking about? How did you do this past week? This this rest that Jesus is talking about is a is a mindset. I have to commend. Uh, my beautiful wife, Allison, this past week, she, she did a great job of resting. Now, she, I had to hide this sermon from her so she wouldn't know what I was going to say. But she did a great job of resting. Not physically. She was sick and kept going, same as Keisha. They were both sick and kept going. But, but Allison determined that she was going to rest in her heart. In fact, she even put up uh, on her dash a, a, a four-by-six card on the, on the passenger side dash that said, it's not a work to be done, but a rest to enter. She also had Psalm 62, 5 up there. For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is from Him. And her heart was at rest at school, at home, and, and even in traffic when she crawled three miles in about 30 minutes. Now, just imagine that. Three miles in 30 minutes. Many of us would, you know, need to be taken to the hospital because we'd have a stroke. And typically, Allison would be close. But she kept looking at that reminder on the dash, and she, she rested one of the reasons that we're reluctant to think about rest is because we're afraid that the work won't get done or we're afraid that people will think we're lazy or worse, that we'll even become lazy. You know, what happens if I get into this, this pattern? That spirit can indicate a lot of different things. It can indicate a good work ethic. It can indicate someone who's indulging insecurities. You know, I have to perform in order to be, to be worthy of other people's acceptance and praise. Or... It can even indicate one who is seeking to work for his or her salvation. In fact, when it comes to spiritual rest, sometimes it's difficult to determine where faith ends and works begin. That's one of the reasons it's so, so difficult to, to know how, how we're supposed to live this Christian life. Our study in Galatians has informed us with absolutely no questions left unaddressed that our salvation comes. We are made right with God when we trust what Jesus did on the cross for us, not by adding anything to that, 
Some people say, oh, I'm not dependent on Jesus. I, I just have to work and show God. I, I can do, you know, and when you ask people, do you know for sure that when you die you're going to heaven? They say things like, oh, yeah, I've, I'm, a, I'm a good person. I, I, don't, I hadn't killed anybody. I haven't. And they talk about the things that they haven't done and how good they are, and co- especially in comparison with their neighbors. And we're all better than our neighbors, right? So <clears throat> it's, it, it's easy to think that we're okay. But when we compare ourselves with the holy God, we got no hope. And so um, <clears throat> Galatians says your, your faith cannot be in yourself, but it's got to be in Jesus. And not only has it got to be in Jesus, it's got to be in Jesus plus nothing. Not, okay, I, I got saved, now I've got to keep it up. That's not the deal. So Galatians has, has informed us of that. And last week we looked at one of the many places where Jesus essentially says the same thing. Rest from your efforts to please God. And also rest from the burdens and the heartbreaks that threaten to break you. But then Jesus said, take my yoke upon you and get ready to work. Well, that's, that's the implication anyway. When you get a yoke, you're ready for work. So when we trust Jesus for salvation, it doesn't mean that we just lie back and take it easy. Uh, nor does it mean that, okay, now I've put my trust in Christ, and so because he's the one who saves me and it's not my good works, I can just live any way that I want to. Our, our text today, which is the fourth chapter of Hebrews, is going to put that idea completely to rest. Pun intended. N- not intended, but there it is. It's going to tell us that this is not a lazy rest. It is, in fact, an active Rest. The full truth of what we're considering today is spelled out in Hebrews chapters 3 and 4, but we're going to pick it up in the middle and nonetheless be able to understand the point that is being made. Now, we don't know who the author of Hebrews was. We have a pretty good idea who the recipients were of this letter. It was written to a small house church, in, probably in Rome, somewhere in the mid 60s and there were a number of Jewish Christians in this in fact it was made up primarily of Jewish Christians who understood the sacrificial system and 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 the writer was writing to encourage them not to walk away from Jesus a whole lot of people were walking away a whole lot of Jews especially who had said we were going to follow Jesus were we're walking away from him. Now, before you say, what's up with that? You need to understand that what happened somewhere in the mid-60s, A.D. 64, 65, somewhere along in there, Nero burned down Rome. And who did he blame it on? Christians. Judaism was a protected religion. So if you were a Jew, you were okay. But if you said, look, I'm, I'm a Jew, but I'm following Jesus, Christianity was not protected. And so the author was saying, look, there's someone much bigger than Nero. You're afraid of Nero? You're going to stand before God. And that's going to be much more frightening. And you do not want to stand before him in in, in the confidence of your own good works according to the law. You need to stand in Jesus, Jesus alone. Much of today's chapter is a stern warning not to turn away from Jesus, but to persevere in faith. Now, 
because of the time, we're just going to work our way through this text, and, 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 and it's going to build and build. The truth is going to build to an incredible crescendo at the end of the chapter. But because of time, we're just going to do that. So rather than standing for our reading, we'll just remain seated and, and begin in just a moment. But let's commit our time to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just want to acknowledge that that you are God, that you are our creator, and that we are in trouble without you making a way for us to connect and to, and to interact and to just to be rightly related to you. Thank you for sending Jesus to die for us. And Lord, uh, most of us are not in the place that these Jewish Christians were in the first century where the threat of persecution, even death, was imminent. And so it's difficult for us to place ourselves in the, in, in the same seats where these believers sat, but we recognize the difficulty of keeping our faith and focus on you as we should. So speak to our hearts today and teach us what it means to rest in you. In the name of the one who provides it, Jesus. Amen. Therefore, I told you we're picking up the author's train of thought in the middle of these two chapters. Now, he's been talking about the example of the Israelites who left Egypt. And, and they failed to enter the promised land, the land that God had said, this is what I'm giving you. They failed to enter it because they refused to believe God. Now, the promised land was not the place of ultimate rest, but it was a foretaste of the rest that God provides in himself for the Israelites. And we have a a foretaste today of the rest, even though it's not anywhere close to what it's going to be. Uh, The individual's In this church to whom Hebrews was written, we're told that a rest awaited them if they would not falter in their belief. And that can create a little confusion even for us. Verses 1 and 2. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. Wow. That's sounding like he's saying, you got to work at this thing. For good news came to us just as to them, because, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who, who listened. So he's saying, be afraid, be fearful that you will not enter God's rest. Again, Nero's right in front of you, but I'm telling you, there's a far greater judgment that is coming it's not going to be Nero's judgment you really need to fear it's God's judgment be careful that was the message to the church at Rome what was it that the Israelites had failed to believe the gospel that's that's what good news means gospel euangelion in the Greek it's it's the gospel The gospel, remember in Galatians, we said that the scriptures preached the gospel to Abraham. The scriptures didn't even exist at that time as we know them. 
But it was the word of God that came to Abraham, and he believed it, and it was counted to him for righteousness. The word of God came to the children of Israel, and he said, I'm going to give you this land. Twelve spies went over, two said, let's go, and the rest said, oh, better not. Better not. So the children of Israel listened to the ten spies. They heard the gospel, but they didn't believe Now, granted, they didn't know that Jesus would die for their sins, but they failed to believe God's promises about giving the land to them. And then they lamented the fact that they had ever left Egypt. Oh, wish I had never left Egypt. Let me ask you a question. Does the life that you live as a follower of Jesus seem easier than the one that you had before or more difficult? Now, for many of you, that's a difficult question because you, you've, you can't hardly remember a time when you didn't believe in Jesus. Those of us who were saved when we were 15 or 16 or 18 or whenever, remember though. And does it seem more, does your life seem easier or more difficult than the, than the ones who live around you that don't know Jesus? I suppose it, it, it depends on how you look at it, but I, I would imagine that many of you sometimes are tempted to just walk away. I mean, why feel guilty all the time? Why do good only to have others abuse you? I mean, you, you're trying to live a certain way and people just, just take advantage of you. Why be honest only to suffer? The Israelites said, we can't go into the land. They have giants. You know, they got giants over there. The little church at Rome said, if we continue to confess Christ, we lose all protection. And the author of Hebrews said, hold steady. A rest is waiting for you if you persevere. So, so wait a minute. I'm, this seems like a contradictory message Galatians says if you depend you've been saved by Jesus and now you as a Gentile are being told by the Israel or the Jewish Christians that you have to come under the umbrella of of Judaism or the the nation of Israel not so much Judaism but you still got to give real serious consideration to the law even to the point that the men need to be circumcised to prove that you're putting your trust in the law of God. And and Paul had said, no, the law holds nothing for you. It cannot give life. In fact, it only enslaves you. Jesus frees you. But now the author of Hebrews seems to be saying, you'll be saved if you hang in there. Does this mean that I have to hang on in order to be saved? No, it doesn't. It actually means that if you have true faith, that you will persevere. Not only in faith, but as we will see, in purity. This is going to make sense as we go. Verses 3 and 5. For we who have believed enter that rest. So he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. This is from Psalm 95, and it goes... Back in chapter 3, he quotes Psalm 95 extensively, verses 7 through 11. Uh, Back in Hebrews 3, I'm sorry. He quotes Psalm 95 extensively, and he's going back to it. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation 
of the world. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, the seventh day in the week of creation. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this passage he said, they shall not enter my rest. Now this makes perfect sense, right? It's, it, it's a little, again, until you get the flow of what he's saying. I mean, wouldn't you know that the author of Hebrews has gone to quoting scripture? In fact, he quotes Psalm 95, 11 twice and also Genesis 2, 2, and both are very significant. We're first told that if we have believed, then we have entered the promised rest. Immediately, though, we're reminded of those who failed to believe the promise and thus were not permitted to enter into the rest that God had prepared for those who believe. In our case, he's talking about trust in Jesus alone, those who are trusting in Jesus alone and are not dependent on the works of the law to achieve salvation. Those are the ones who enter God's rest. Our relationship with God is a gift to us. I think we recognize this when we first come to Jesus, but we tend to forget it. Our relationship with God is a gift to us. It is nothing that we can do on our own and thus brag about all the great things that we had or even the great insight that we had to just say yes to the Lord. At the end of verse 3, we're told that God's works were finished from the foundation of the world. Then Genesis 2.2 is quoted in verse 4. I I love the way that he says this. For for he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way. It's just, just kind of literary style that, that the author is implying he, or employing. And he, he knows where it was stated. Everybody knows where it was stated. In Genesis 2, 2, although they didn't have the chapter divisions, chapter verse divisions like we do. He said, God he rested on the seventh day from all his works. Now, this is significant. You'll recall... Something different about the seventh day from the others. There was no, no morning, no evening. Thus, when God's creation was complete, he rested with great joy and satisfaction. And that rest continues to this day. Remember, repeatedly he said about his creation, it is good, it's, it's good. And then when he created Adam and Eve, what did he say? It's very good. And he rested from all his works. He's very pleased with the creation. The fact that God is at rest doesn't mean, though, that he's not at work. In fact, John 5.17, in John 5.17, when the Jewish leaders were, were condemning Jesus for healing on the Sabbath, Jesus said, look, you, you misunderstand the Sabbath. My father is working until now, and I am working. It's an active rest that the Father has. Just because creation was done, God did not cease to work. And I'm tempted to try to explain this further, but some of our questions are going to be answered as we go. So let's just keep plowing on. Verse 6. Since, therefore, it remains for some to enter it, the rest, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. Stop right there. 
He says some people are going to enter God's rest, this wonderful, joyous, festive rest that He enjoys. We're going to enter His rest if we believe, but some fail to because of disobedience. Now, so what is it? Do we fail to enter the rest of God because of disobedience or unbelief? Both. Because unbelief always leads to disobedience. Whereas belief will lead to obedience. Perfectly? No, of course not. Not until the day that we're made exactly like Jesus. We're made perfect. We are perfected on the day that he returns or the day that we stand before him. So Hebrews is really a twofold warning. But it, 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 it warns those who think they can do anything of their own in their own efforts to accomplish salvation, but it's also a warning to those who will live carelessly, thinking that they can behave badly just because they've trusted Christ and their eternal salvation is assured. So, seems like you're saying that we have to do good works in order to stay. No! That point is made so clear over and over in Scripture. But... It is also clear that our good works will indicate that we have trusted Christ. Remember the pattern in the New Testament letters. This is who you are in Jesus. And because of it, this is, who, this is how you need to act. That's where we're moving next week in Galatians 5. We won't be perfect. But we will be different. And the trajectory of our lives will be toward heaven and toward Christ-likeness as God more and more conforms us to the image of His Son. That's why you were predestined to be saved so that you could become more and more and more like Jesus. Is that happening in your life? This is a warning. Make sure that you're trusting Jesus and Jesus alone because if you are, it's going to show up in your life. doesn't mean I want you to panic because the Scripture says very clearly that once you place your trust in Jesus, you will always be. But it is a warning. It's, it's a warning that this life is serious business. Don't take it for granted. And don't, don't take your salvation for granted. Show God your appreciation by constantly yielding to Him so that He will live through you. More about that in just a little bit. Let's keep going. Verse 7, again, He appoints a certain day. Today, saying, through David so long afterward in the words already quoted, today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your, your hearts. He's talking about something that happened back there, but David said, this message is for today, and the writer of Hebrews says it's today, and, and it's today. If you do not know Jesus as your Savior, when do you need to trust Him? After you've thought about it? Well, the answer is, do it today. Today! Because if you refuse to, your heart may harden against him. Oh no, I won't let that happen. You're not in control of that. You need to respond to the Lord today. Uh, there's an application for believers here. Those of us who have believed long ago. When you commit a particular sin, 
that, that you consider just awful, what, what happens? Pretty guilty, right? <laughs> that's, not, that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. Because when you're guilty, when you feel guilty about a sin, you are driven to the Lord. You confess your sin and say, God, please forgive me. And when you come in true repentance, man, the joy that comes with his forgiveness. That's wonderful. But if you've committed that sin for the tenth time, well, you may still feel guilty. But the more you go, the harder your heart becomes. And you worried in the early days, you know, I used to put it this way, about a telephone pole dropping on my head. But then after a while, you know, when the poles stay up and you, you just keep walking down the street with that without disaster, you just think, well, okay. What he's saying is, don't do that. Do not do that. Today, believe in Jesus for salvation and... Believe Jesus for a life of purity that reflects his presence in your life. Now look, some of you are thinking, oh me, Uh, oh me. Look, today is the day to give it over to Jesus. There's help and it's coming in a few verses. For now, look at verse 8. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So I've sort of broken it up. Just take this all together. The children of Israel had the opportunity to go into the land, but they said, no, we're scared, and they disobeyed God. They didn't believe his promise, so consequently they they refused to do what he said that you're supposed to do. So in Psalm 95, when David is writing about that time, he says, look, the Lord was trying to say to them, today if you will not harden your heart, God will give you rest and then the writer of Hebrews is just extending that, and that's what the Word of God is, isn't it? It's eternal, so it, the implications keep going forever. And we have this opportunity to enter into God's rest. But he, now he makes a point, but, but the promised land wasn't the real rest. See, it was a taste of the rest, but it was just foreshadowing what was to come later on. For if Joshua had given them rest, because they did go into the land with Joshua, then God would not have spoken of another day later on. Simply stated, Canaan was not the rest that God had promised. And if you have trusted in Jesus and you've got a wonderful peace in your heart, as beautiful as that is, that's not the full rest. Man, is it coming one day. Look at verses 9 through 11. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works. Just like God did from his. Remember back, God said, okay, that's done. And when you've trusted in Jesus, your works, trying to make yourself good to God, that's done. When Jesus died on the cross, he was still working. But what did he say at the end? What was the last thing he said? It is finished. Into your hands I commit my spirit. It it is finished. It's over. It's done. That work is done. And when we trust in him, we have ceased from our works. Let us, verse 11, therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Wow. Wow. That's a lot there. This is, first of all, a Sabbath rest. This could literally be translated Sabbath celebration. 
It's different from the other words, the, the other words being used for Sabbath in this passage. It is a Sabbath celebration. You know, a lot of people think about the Jewish Sabbath as being a day of almost mourning and sadness. But you go into a Jewish home where they're celebrating the Sabbath, there's joy and festivity. Now, that's the way God designed for it to be. It's a shame that they've missed the, 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 the sacrifice in Jesus and that they failed to enter the full rest. But God's Sabbath rest is a Sabbath celebration for the, the, the Sabbath that He has prepared for us. And it is in the future, but there's that definite sense that the rest has already begun for those who believe. But that rest is only going to be confirmed as we persevere in Jesus. So there's a strong warning, but there's a strong promise at the same time. If you have believed in Jesus, he will do the work in you. Our, t- our takeaway ought to be this. As Christ followers, this is what we ought to see from this passage to this point. This life in Christ is serious. I, I look at you and many of you, I know that this is serious business for you. I, I know that this, is, this life is not one that you take lightly. It's one that you take with a great deal of seriousness. And you know what? You know what's happening? It, God is confirming in you that you have put your faith in Jesus. That's a wonderful word. Do we get sidetracked? Do we get derailed? Do we get hurt and sit on the sidelines? Yes. But if we belong to God, He's going to constantly be bringing us back. But when we walk away and we're satisfied, that's a, this is a warning. Don't do that, is what he's saying. If if the author was telling this little band of Jewish believers that if they abandoned Christ to avoid persecution, they stood in danger of missing God's rest because it would reveal their unbelief, then we ought to take this seriously. And not just walk away because some disaster happened in our lives or because we got upset with something. We can't do that. We have to hang with the Lord. Our temptation is, is manyfold. It's, it's often the same temptations as the Galatians. Add our works to Jesus' sacrifice so that we can just be sure that God will accept us. No, that's not, that's not the point that the author here is making. He's just saying that if you put your faith in Christ, it'll show. It'll show up. Verse 10 says, Those who have entered God's rest have ceased from trying to appease God by good works. You know, it's easier for me <clears throat> as a preacher. You know, if I want to get paid at the end of this month, I've got to hang in there, you know? I got no choice. Um, I know that temptation, though, to be hurt, to be frustrated, to be angry, to to struggle with sin, and want to just walk away. I, I know what it's like. I I do. I I, I feel your pain, as someone said, in years gone by. Uh, but 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 you know what? That doesn't mean that much. 
we're, we're going to hear from Jesus that he feels our pain, and that means everything, doesn't it? By the way, do not miss in the middle of this warning that the rest we will enter is God's rest. It's more than just a rest that has been prepared for us. Get your head around this. This is God's rest. It's like being invited to Camp David, speaking of, you know, different people. It's like being invited to Camp David, and we walk in the woods and down the streams that the president walks, and we, we sit in, in, in front of the fire with our, our feet propped up, and we scratch, you know, behind the ear of the president's dog. We enter into his rest, his recreation, his particular place, and when we... That does not compare to what will happen. How many times do you think, oh, I'd like to do this, I'd like to do that, I'd like to go here, I'd like to go that. Allison last night said, is that something you would like to do, Brad, go to the Olympics? I never thought about it, even when it was Atlanta. I never just never thought about it, you know. Her family, they've been... Connected with the Olympics in unbelievable ways. Her grandfather was big in the Melbourne Olympics in, 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 in 1956. I never really thought about that. What is, what is the chance that any of us are going to end up in, in, in the cabinet at Camp David or in the Butler cabin at Augusta or any, any of those places? It's not, not very good. But even if we got there, it means nothing compared to the rest that God not only has prepared for us, but that is his personal rest, and we are invited into it. So strive to enter that rest. Now that's a paradox, isn't it? Verse 11. The point is, simply make sure that you are trusting Jesus, not yourself, not only for salvation, but for this life that you live in service to Him. You need to develop a pattern of rest, of constantly turning your heart toward God, not toward your own impulses or even your own abilities. There's a part of me that I'm sorry that I I, I mentioned Allison today because I know what happens. when Any text that I preach, Sean will tell you this, David, the others, Elders who preach occasionally. When you preach, Aubrey, Jim Acock, when you preach, Ted, I'm, I'm going to leave somebody out, so I've got to stop. Taylor, no, I'm, you haven't preached yet, not here. When you preach, you're tested with that thing. Sometimes I think, oh my. And I want to tell you, the days that I walk away from here thinking, wow, that that, you know, I feel pretty good about that. One of you is going to call me that day and you're going to be upset about something. It's just going to, that's the way it is. So I try, I mean, when I, sometimes when I feel good, I think, uh-oh, uh-oh. <laughs> and, and now I've put it on Allison, but see, this is what, exactly what she did last week and it ministered to me. It challenged me when she turned it again over and over again to the Lord. I'm just, that's what he's talking about. Strive to enter that rest. Constantly be thinking about the fact that it's his work, not your own, that matters. 
If you trust him, your life will be characterized by obedience. That's a good thing. Look at verses 12 and 13. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but we are all naked and exposed to the eyes of him. To whom we must give account. We often quote verse 12. Talking about the benefit of knowing God's word. But when these two verses are taken together. They are devastating. Back in Hebrews 3, 7. The author accredited the words of David. From Psalm 95 to the Holy Spirit. So once again we talk about this a lot. The spirit and the word inseparable. You just can't. Separate them. So when we're in the Word, the Spirit of God is doing its work in our lives. And as Peter O'Brien says, to be exposed to the Word of Scripture is to be examined fully by God Himself and therefore to be answerable to Him. In verse 13, the word exposed is literally translated helpless. So many times. In, in years gone by, before I started preaching from the ESV, I would say, this is better translated, and the ESV already had it translated that way. This chapter, it just doesn't fully give the meanings of, of what is being said. And, 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 and this is literally translated, helpless. We are naked and helpless before the eyes of Him, before whom we must give account, before, before whom we stand and to whom we must give account. So if I had said this morning, hey, guess what? We have secretly followed you, you know those secret cameras. We've secretly followed three of you, and we're going to put it up on the screen right here. I'm wondering how many of you would get up and walk, run away. Uh, pr- probably more than three is going to be my guess, you know. Um, but our accountability to God is far greater than that. If three of you were exposed Many of the rest of us would be thinking, wow, I was worse than that. I'm glad they didn't follow me. I'm glad nobody knows about me, but God knows. And he even knows beyond that the true motives of your heart. See, that would be one of the bad things. What if we secretly followed you and you did everything great? Then you'd be thinking, yeah, I hope they they followed me. (laughs) Hope everybody sees how good I am. God knows the motives of our heart, even when we have convinced ourselves that we have good intentions. And believe it or not, it is quite gracious that he reveals to you who you are in his word. In fact, look at the incredibly encouraging way this passage concludes. And and again, this is a, a bridge to what follows, but it concludes these thoughts wonderfully. Since then, verse 14, since then... We have a great high priest. If you'll hit that one, uh, Josh, one more. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. By the way, thank you, Josh, and everybody who's back there. It's tough to follow this mess that I write out. 
and especially when I go off, which occasionally I do. Once again, let's think about what Peter Bryan has said. The more desperate our situation is before the all-seeing eye of God, the more wonderful is his provision for our needs. See, that's what we're believing. That's what we're trusting. That's what we're resting in. The more desperate our situation is before the all-seeing eye of God, the more wonderful is his provision for our needs. This life is difficult, and face it, we blow it day after day, time after time. Everything in us wants to be pure, to be humble, to be kind, to trust. But we fall short, and we are exposed. But there's good news. Right after being told that we are naked and helpless before the eyes of Him who sees everything, who knows everything about us because He created us. Right after that, we are told that we have a great high priest who loves us and brings us into the very presence of the one who judges. And He brings us absolutely clean because of His sacrifice. Because of what he did for us on our behalf. Hang on to that confession. In home group this week, you're going to talk about the wonderful benefit of a confession. Confession in Jesus. Never be ashamed to tell people that you belong to Jesus. See, anybody can talk about God. That was the Hebrews. That was the, the, the people who received this letter. That was their, their struggle. We, yeah, we can talk about God, but really to talk about Jesus, that's what really gets us into trouble. Hang on to that confession. You are related to God the Father because of the work of His Son, Jesus. Who is He? <clears throat> he is the one who lived as a man and was tempted in every single way that we are, except that He didn't sin. He, he sympathizes with our weaknesses. And this word weaknesses is broad enough to cover the gamut. It can talk about physical weaknesses or illnesses, social pressure, such as, as, as abuse, verbal abuse, or even imprisonment, or the weaknesses that we encounter because of the flesh. So take comfort no matter what your struggle is this morning. Jesus sympathizes with your weaknesses. He's been there. He knows the temptation. Moral weakness seems to be primarily in view as we're promised that we will receive mercy, which is, he's talking about the forgiveness of sins, and grace, the strength to endure temptations. And we'll find that at the throne of God. Therefore, you can come to the throne of God with confidence. And we are ready for Galatians 5, where we're going to discover the strength and the power of, to live for God in ways that we never dream possible. We live by faith and we live for the Father's pleasure and in the power of the Holy Spirit who is separable, inseparable from God's word. Let's pray. <clears throat> if uh, you would have liked a little more application from the text this morning. Here it is. 
commit to get your heart and mind into the word. That's how God reveals you to yourself. And that's where he offers you incredible peace and encouragement and rest. It is in the word where your faith is strengthened. And it's as we spend time in the Word and the Holy Spirit does His work in our hearts and minds that ultimately our lives are changed. Father, we um, stand before You today totally exposed And as we are exposed, we have only one hope, and that is to look at the cross. (laughs) Where Jesus took our sins, our sin upon himself. And you, judging our sin, turn your back on the one that you loved. And it's incomprehensible. You forsook him as he took upon himself our judgment. And as we look at that cross and we hear the Savior say, it is finished, and we recognize that he was raised from the dead, indicating that you accepted his sacrifice for us. Then our hearts are encouraged. Lord, Keep our eyes on the cross. And and you are so gracious to do that, bringing things into our lives that that turn us to you. So, Lord, uh, we yield to you and we look to you, as the author encouraged them later. Over and over, he was turning their eyes, these people who received this letter to the Hebrews. To look to Jesus. We do look to you. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Would you stand please together? Um, I asked David, I'm so grateful he did this today. I was actually thinking about it a week or two ago. I asked him about once or twice a year to do as the deer. indicating that I'm well past adolescence, but it reminds me of my adolescence, I suppose. Um, And there's another song from back in the day that I'd love for us to to just sing. We do it occasionally. And if you don't know this song, just close your eyes and listen. And let's just lift our hearts and say, I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice. To worship you, O my soul, rejoice. Take joy, my King, in what you hear. May it be a sweet, sweet sound. 
We can only sing in a way that pleases him as we rest in him. So as we sing it one more time, focus on Jesus. I love you, Lord.